It's just after midnight, Monday, February 14th, 2022. You're listening to the Midnight Ride Podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. Paul, how was your week? Happy Valentine's Day. Yes. First of all, are we spending so much time on this podcast that we end up having to be each other's Valentines? <laughs> uh, maybe. I'm trying. I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm, I'm going to try to surprise my wife and take her to a movie. Go see Marry Me, the new J-Lo film with Owen Wilson, which I know she will like. But unfortunately, between the podcast and my job, I don't know if I'll be able to make the time, but I'm hoping. We'll see. But everybody out there listening, do not forget your loved one. It is Valentine's Day. And please take time, if you can, to show that special person in your life that you care. But other than that, Connor, my weekend was pretty boring. There really wasn't anything going on. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, there was a football game played, but as you know, what are you talking? Huh? <laughs> as you know, I did not watch the Super Bowl that was played because of, you know, various woke initiatives. The NFL no longer resembles the NFL that I grew up with, so I did not watch. Did you watch the game? I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's how little that I care. No, seriously, it's the Super Bowl. It the NFL has just become the the social justice league, and I I don't believe in that. I I don't like to hear the black national anthem before the games. I feel like which was planned before last night's game, which is why I did not watch. Exactly, and I to me it has completely lost its appeal. I've I've chosen to stay a fan of college football, but the NFL not so much. Does that make me an insurrectionist by any chance? It, it may, and there could be heavy sanctions for you. I guess we'll segue right into to the first topic of the show, because as we predicted, this January 6th thing is going to be the Democrats' go-to. If we just look at last week, the new consumer price index came out and inflation was at 7.5% right after the president was bragging about his economy. Really, we've got the worst president in modern history, maybe in the history of the republic. Election numbers, polling numbers are way, way down for the Democrats. It is looking like the midterms are going to be awful. So if you can't beat them, maybe you can disqualify them. There's a case in North Carolina I know you want to talk about. There is. So I want to talk about Madison Cawthorn, and he's a congressman from Western North Carolina, represents the Asheville area, which is interesting in itself. Asheville's a pretty liberal town, but the way the district is, he's the representative. He's, he's in a wheelchair. He's also the youngest person ever to get elected to the House, which says a little something about his maturity. If you look a little over the last uh, couple years since he's been elected, He's been not without controversy. I think he got caught trying to take a gun into the, through a TSA checkpoint. He said a ton of things that are extremely controversial. It would not be outside the realm to compare him with Marjorie Taylor Greene and some of the other folks that are completely on the far right. Now, whether that makes him an insurrectionist or not is is a completely different story, but he's, he's definitely out there. He's definitely, he does not fit the profile, the typical profile of a U.S. congressman. As you said, his youth, the fact that he is disabled, but also completely irreverent. He sort of takes 
the concerns of his constituents, it's almost like you're listening to one of his constituents. I think he's kind of a tool, but that's not the point. Exactly. That's not the point. And what's really interesting is that this week, the North Carolina Elections Board, this past week, excuse me, the North Carolina Elections Board declared that it has the power to bar him from running for office due to his actions related to the the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot, or as some like to call it, an insurrection. Um, Jonathan Turley, we all know him. He's a very well-respected constitutional lawyer and professor at George Washington University. He had a great article about this on his website. And it said that the board insists that it can enforce Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and declare that he is an insurrectionist. And Turley believes that it's wholly outside the language and intent of the provision in the Constitution for them to be able to do that, and that Cawthorn has the right to challenge any such action as unconstitutional. Pretty chilling, right? It is. Here is that section. Section 3 of Article 14, no person shall be a representative in Congress who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or executive of judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. So they're saying that he either engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution of the United States, or gave aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Now that last part, giving aid or comfort, could be very loosely interpreted to say that anyone who voiced support for the January 6th, what they would call insurrection, what some would call a riot, what others might call a protest gone wrong, would be guilty and would be barred. Now, the weird thing about this is, Paul, to my knowledge, no Americans or maybe a very, very small number have even been charged with sedition or insurrection, right? Actually, nobody has been charged with sedition or insurrection. You had the Oath Keepers guys that were charged with seditious conspiracy, which is different than sedition and different than insurrection and is very loosely defined. But I mean, going back to Madison Cawthorn, this is really all they're they're using to declare him as, as an insurrectionist. He said, quote, this is before the riot at the protests on the 6th in D.C., He spoke and he said, quote, the Democrats, with all the fraud they've done in this election, the Republicans hiding and not fighting, they are trying to silence your voice. Make no mistake about it. They do not want you to be heard. So that's what he said. (laughs) And then he later voted against certifying President Biden's victory. But once it was certified, he also signed a letter congratulating Biden on the win. So I'll let you be the judge, Connor. Is that insurrection? I don't think that it is. Remember, this amendment to the Constitution was passed by... Wait, you don't... So you don't think it is? I mean, can you say definitively that speaking... I can definitively say that he did not participate in insurrection. And and this may be a test case, right? I mean, if this can work against him, they will go after Ted Cruz. They will go after many other members, Marco Rubio. They will go after many other Republicans and try to take them out so they don't have to face them in a ballot box, in a ballot booth, where they're going to get slaughtered in November. Exactly. And it's an interesting justification that the North Carolina Board of Elections used. It's The board wrote, 
The state does not judge the qualifications of the elected members of the U.S. House. It polices candidate qualifications prior to the elections. In doing so, as indicated above, states have long enforced age and residency requirements without question and with very few, if any, legal challenges. The state has the same authority to police which candidates should or should not be disqualified per Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. This sounds familiar with that the OSHA vaccine thing, where it's it, there's almost like this broad statute where it says OSHA can regulate businesses, and then they decide, well, that means OSHA can do literally anything it wants with businesses. So, so the North Carolina board is saying, well, if it has the right to say that you're too young to run under the Constitution or you don't live in the district, it now can solely determine whether you're an insurrectionist or not under the 14th Amendment. That's pretty scary, especially of a board that's appointed politically. And the state of North Carolina has a Democratic governor right now. So essentially, they can say that anybody that they think violated that can't run, then the person can challenge it. And by that time, it's too late and they haven't run and they've destroyed that person. One of the problems, one of the big, big problems we have in our country right now is the power of unelected bureaucrats who never leave, seemingly cannot be fired. People like Dr. Anthony Fauci, people who, you know, on this election board, people like that, who make decisions seemingly arbitrary decisions that have tremendous impact on our life. But the the theme of this particular episode of The Midnight Ride is how the meaning of words is very subjective depending on who is making the judgment. And rebellion or insurrection, it really depends on your view in this case. And the events of January 6th, while certainly a major stain and embarrassment on our country, and again, you know, 140 some odd police officers did sustain some kind of injury on that afternoon. There was violence on that day, but they're not charging anyone with those crimes and they're not releasing all the video either. Some of the police were complicit in at least waving people in. At times, it looked like an impromptu tour of the Capitol by people with selfie sticks walking around taking souvenirs. So I just don't think this passes muster. I also think that North Carolina could be a testing ground wherein if this succeeds, and it won't in court, but if this were to succeed, you would see many, many Republicans disqualified. And this would be the only way that some Democratic incumbents could keep their jobs because the American people are fed up. Exactly. And it's essentially saying that exercising constitutionally protected speech is inherently unconstitutional by violating that clause. And it's not only going to impact other members of Congress, but it can then become a slippery slope to harm free speech as a whole. And I think North Carolina is being used as this test case because they take a guy like Cawthorn, who's been mocked in the media and he's young and he's immature. And they're probably saying he's low hanging fruit. He's an easy target. Let's try to get him first. And if that works, we can then move on to other folks. But given that Cawthorn is, is this guy that even in a lot of folks in the Republican Party like to scoff at, they probably think they can get away with it. And also, North Carolina is a swing state. I mean, this is one that has gone back and forth. It has a Democratic governor, but it's voted Republican in the presidential race. So this seems like a very strategic 
move by the Democrats to try to make this happen. And it really hasn't gotten much media coverage. Of course not. No. And, and well, it even has it hasn't gotten it in any circles, really. Even Jonathan Turley. I mean, he put it on his website, but it, you really haven't seen much about it. Even on Fox News, we obviously haven't seen it in the nation's paper of record, the New York Post. So we <laughs> so it's one of those things where we bring it to you on the midnight ride because you're not you're not seeing it other places. And I think this is something that people need to be following really, really closely. Absolutely. And you're right. North Carolina has a Democratic governor. And so you have Democratic appointed bureaucrats that are taking this action. Now, you you won't see this sort of action taken against somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene or somebody from a state that has a Republican governor because the bureaucrats would not be able to keep their jobs. They would not, this would not happen in those states. So looking around and seeing Cawthorn may be the only person for now that gets this, but this isn't the last that we will hear of January 6th and the, the label insurrectionist. I hope, and I think that people like Freedom Watch and others are trying to subpoena or use the Freedom of Information Act to get all of the video that was taken on the Capitol on January 6th and to release more records, because I think that the Democrats and the January 6th unselect committee, as it has been referred to, are only showing you part of the picture, the picture that they want. This is political theater, but as it pertains to language and the words that we use, the term insurrection, the meaning of it has changed, just like all of the other words, like racism and and other things that the Democrats and the, the left, the leftists have changed over the last few years. It certainly has, and it's going to bring us into our, our next segment, which is about that term misinformation. And I think that you, you're going to want to lead us into this, but it's changing the meaning of the term insurrectionist is misinformation itself. And we now have this term getting thrown around all over the place, like taking different viewpoints and saying that if you have a different view, it's misinformation. Well, by the definition of the political left, everyone listening to this show is a rebel, is an insurrectionist, is a domestic terrorist. But when we come back, the new term du jour of the Orwellian left, misinformation, apparently, according to them, the midnight ride and everybody listening is practicing in it. And this does also talk to the case involving Joe Rogan. You're not going to want to miss our next segment coming up on The Midnight Ride. We're back, and Paul, I don't want to give my exact age, but I am middle-aged. I've been around the block. I have never seen a time, not just in American history, certainly in American history, but also in world history, where I have never seen a time. There, there most definitely have been, but in my lifetime, never seen a time where truth and freedom of speech has been more under threat. Would you agree with that statement? Well, I would say, Connor, first, why don't you uh, be honest? You're promoting misinformation by saying you're middle-aged. We all know that you're getting up there. <laughs> Guilty as charged. But anything you say in this day and age is could be turned against you by Big Brother. And I say Big Brother because, and this has been in, invoked so many times over the years, and I've never quite agreed with it, until now, in 1949, I believe it was, an author named George Orwell wrote a book envisioning a totalitarian hellscape in London in a world in a nation called Oceania, and the book was titled 1984. Well, 
2022 is 1984. It certainly has. I mean, it's occurred, what is that, uh, 16 plus, my math isn't very good. How many years late did it come to fruition? But Orwell was very... 38 years? Yeah, 38 years late. And Orwell was very proficient in, uh, his, in his predictions. The term misinformation, I, I looked up the dictionary. It says false or inaccurate information especially which is deliberately intended to deceive. And once again, I was looking in the the New York Post's, which is our national paper of record. Paper of record, oldest paper in the U.S. Yep, for the nation. And it's talked about a bulletin from the Department of Homeland Security that popped out this week, and it warned against, quote, the proliferation of false or misleading narratives which sow discord or undermine public trust in U.S. government institutions. Since we're talking about Biden's Department of Homeland Security, did it not also tie misinformation to terrorism? It did. It said these threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction to sow discord, undermine public trust in government institutions to encourage unrest, which could potentially inspire acts of violence. So the first premise there is that they are trying to cause violence by false narratives. But there's a little bit more to that. I think first, you and I can both say that we're summarily against any types of violence, any kinds of mass casual attacks. Those, in fact, would be acts of terror, and they are awful and would need to be prosecuted. But the premise saying that, quote, false and misleading narratives are causing that is quite a stretch. And they even go farther to say that the background of this misinformation is related to widespread election fraud and COVID-19 misinformation. And a lot of that COVID-19 misinformation, it says that it's around criticism of COVID mitigation measures, particularly COVID-19 vaccine and mask mandates which have been used by domestic violent extremists to justify violence since 2020 and could continue to inspire these extremists to target government healthcare and academic institutions that associate with those measures, although it did not give specific examples. In the book 1984, there is a a ministry of information that one of the, the protagonists in the film, in the book, actually works for. And their job is to basically disappear anybody that not only speaks a certain way, but even thinks a certain way. And so certain narratives, as you use that word narrative, and I I hate that word because there's a connotation that it's not a fact, it's a story. And the certain narratives that threaten the official position of the government are dealt with very harshly. Now, in t- not in 1984, but in 2022, What that basically means is that if you propagate a narrative or even ask questions, and we'll get to Joe Rogan in just a second, if you propagate a narrative or even ask questions about what the government is putting out, you will be deplatformed, you will be canceled, and now it seems as though they want to do things like throw you in jail. Look at what's going on north of our border in Canada. Justin Trudeau, who is a tyrant of the highest order, is now using the word misinformation, to describe this entirely peaceful protest and saying that it is basically a threat to the nation. 
And that's what we are, Paul, is people who question their narrative and throw out any data, including, you know, studies that show that cloth masks don't work or anything related to the vaccine. We can be destroyed. There are people, I mean, Alex Berenson is one high profile person, Robert Malone, which, of course, really started that whole Joe Rogan controversy, have been online talking about how the vaccine loses its effectiveness after a few months. There are side effects that need to be looked at. The minute they said that, they were being uh, accused of proliferating misinformation. And of course, all of these things turned out to be true. The recent study from the CDC said that the vaccine boosters wane after four months uh, as far as providing antibodies. The EU has decided to investigate issues with the changing of menstrual cycles in women as a result of the vaccine. They've also suspended giving the vaccine to kids. There's all kinds of questions swirling around. And this country was founded on mistrust of the government. The government serves the people. It's always meant to questioning the government is what this nation was founded on. And it sounds like things are getting all twisted around, doesn't it, Connor? Oh, it absolutely does. And let's talk about Joe Rogan for just a second, because he is a threat to the power base in this country. His listenership is somewhere around, I think, 11 million. That's a lot of people. It is more than the audiences, the primetime audiences of CNN, MSNBC, and NBC News combined. And he is very popular. He's popular because, you know, he may not have been educated at the same schools as the the journalists and the bureaucrats and the people who work for the oligarchs, but he has the same common sense bona fides. And he asks the same questions that we want to know the answers to. As it pertains to the vaccines and COVID lockdowns, he brought on Dr. Malone, he brought on other experts, and he asked them questions. And some of the answers said things like, why are we trusting the pharmaceutical industry? Take a look at their track record. This is not like some major revelation. This is just common sense. There were a lot of facts put out there. And as we know from looking at the New York Post story about Hunter Biden and getting money in China and stuff, basic facts can be memory hold, to use a phrase from Orwell's book, and not shown to the general public. But when the misinformation thing didn't take in that instance, then they began a coordinated assault on Rogan to basically paint him as a racist. That appears to not be working. Hopefully, Rogan can continue on because I think he's an important voice. We should be listening to a lot of voices right now and not just tuning them out because they don't fit the established view given to us by our political masters. Do you remember learning about the scientific method in school? at all. I mean, I know it's a long time. Neither of us are smart enough to be scientists ourselves. I remember something about, you know, formulating a hypothesis and what a theory was. And in the context of this argument, my understanding of it was that science is never final. It's never official. You constantly test your theories, right? Exactly. It's a, it it involves careful observation, applying rigorous skepticism about what is involved and analyzing data, reporting conclusions based on the data, and then observing and continually questioning that those conclusions, and it continues forever. So 
science is never a determined fact. This is making a conclusion about masks or the COVID vaccine is not like saying the sky is blue or we're walking on concrete or something of that nature. It's constantly being looked at and changed. And what the CDC and and some folks in government have done here is short-circuited it and essentially saying that the minute they report a conclusion that that's fact, anybody that questions it is promoting misinformation. And that's just not true. And it's changing the way people are looking at it. And doctors that follow the CDC, it almost looks like they're not even following the scientific method. They're just taking this fact and then trying to belittle anybody else and canceling. And and you lose the entire benefit and all of the work that has gone into science for hundreds of years that has helped our the human race continue to advance. And without that, we have nothing. And this is, it's scary, frankly. It's terrifying because you brought up doctors and this is a very dangerous time to be going in for certain kinds of surgeries and things like that because this newspeak and this groupthink has invaded the medical community. And kudos to people like Dr. Malone and, and others. There's a doctor, I think his name is McCary from Johns Hopkins, that have come out and spoke on this groupthink. But there's a lot of doctors out there who prescribe to these theories and they just take them as, as fact and they, they don't question the official narrative. And it, it could mean that our health will be at risk because you will go to doctors that don't actually know the actual facts or don't stop and think about it. Tremendous influence wielded by the administrative state and big pharma. Exactly. A doctor is a, not a scientist. A doctor is a, you know, somebody that works on your health. And if they're just getting like email updates and press releases from the CDC, and that's where they get their information, then they become influenced just like anybody else does. Everyone is afraid, Paul. The, some of these doctors are afraid to question anything because in their medical associations or the, the circles in which they hang, this term that is thrown out there by Big Brother, misinformation, it can damage them. It can damage their practice. It could damage their standing. And so we have this cycle of fear, and this word has tremendous power. As it pertains to Rogan, John Stewart... Thank God for John Stewart. This guy came out last week, I believe it was Thursday, and he basically said, hey, listen, I was one of those people back in 2003 during the run-up to the Iraq War where I was a purveyor of misinformation. I was questioning this WMD narrative, and it was the New York Times that was basically selling this. There were a lot of people who were who are out there pushing this narrative, it turned out to be false. And I'm concerned about who gets to say what is misinformation, who gets to decide who the purveyors of misinformation are. And that's a great question, Paul. It is. The other part of that bulletin, the DHS bulletin, was election fraud, right? And those were the two examples, election fraud and COVID-19. Now, there have been a lot of probes. There have been a huge number of court challenges uh, on what happened in the 2020 election. There really hasn't been any evidence of widespread fraud. I am of the personal opinion that the COVID-19 mitigation measures that in many cases were not constitutional and were not necessary were used 
to tilt things towards the Democrats, which may, it's not really for me to say whether it's right or wrong, but it was definitely in a regular election year. That does not mean there, that there was fraud. However, people look at certain things that happened, like in Fulton County, where they stopped counting and then all of a sudden they started counting again. Same thing happened in Milwaukee and some of these big urban areas. It looked a little irregular, a little fishy. Why this year is this such a problem? And all of a sudden it wasn't in the past and people started talking about it. That doesn't mean that they're saying there's fraud for to deceive people. That just means that they're skeptical. There's nothing wrong with being skeptical. People then looked into it. They didn't find any fraud. That's great. Yeah, I mean, 100,000 votes come in all at once. Somebody's going to ha- naturally have a question. That doesn't mean they're an insurrectionist or engaging in misinformation. No, and I don't think that we can say specifically that there wasn't any fraud. We don't know. I mean, the, the probes didn't find anything, but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. There was a, in Miami just uh, the other day, it, it looked, there were some elderly people in a nursing home that were registered Democrats that said they were, their registration was changed to Republican without their knowledge by uh, voter, and they were forced to sign something by voter registration people in the nursing home that, that made them become Republicans, and that's getting looked at. That kind of stuff happens all the time. So to say that people are claiming election fraud is some sort of misinformation which leads could lead to violence and mass casualty events, it's completely asinine. We have constitutionally protected free speech, and this is all constitutionally protected free speech. And what this kind of bulletin does is tries to intimidate people into not exercising their free speech out of fear that the government is going to label them in a certain way and that their life is going to be destroyed. And that's not how this country works. People should not be afraid to speak their mind at all. That's what makes America so fantastic. You have a First Amendment protection. And it looks to me like a a single political party in this country is trying to scare people into being silent. They are. And let me tell you something, Paul. It is. It goes beyond the term misinformation. These people have started to attack and change the language, just as we saw in Orwell. Now, in the appendix to 1984, they sort of get into the architecture of newspeak and how certain words were changed. And I just want to go over this for a second to see if this sounds familiar. The word thought did not exist in Newspeak, its place was taken by think, which did duty for both noun and verb, such things like groupthink, for example. The only classes of words that were still allowed to inflect irregularly were the pronouns, the demonstrative adjectives, and the auxiliary verbs. There was a secondary vocabulary called the B vocabulary, consisting of words which had been deliberately constructed for political purposes. Words, that is to say, which not only had in every case a political implication, but were intended to impose a desirable mental attitude upon the person using them. Now, let me throw some words at you that we've seen come into the the dictionary recently. How about anti-racist, for example? All of the words related to gender, Latinx, they are trying to make the language work for their political purposes. And misinformation is another one of those words. They're attacking truth at every turn. Gender is a word that they're using. There's no such thing as objective truth anymore, a binary male and female, you know, sexes. There are now 78 genders. This is all political 
And it is all the foundation of a house that was built to protect their political power. The dictionary is now their weapon. Anti-racist, anti-fascist, non-binary, disinformation, misinformation, narrative, all of those words are constructed to influence the way people think. Say those words again one by one. Okay. Anti-racist. Racist. Anti-fascist. Fascist. Misinformation. Truth. Disinformation. Spreading truth or asking questions. Narrative. Lies. Non-binary. Male or female. Yep. And we had that in 1984. You know, Joy Camp was forced labor camp. Many PACs, the Ministry of Peace, was actually the Ministry of War. They were responsible for the perpetual wars. This book should be reread by every American, but it is absolutely happening here. They are putting out words that are the opposite of what the actual meaning is. And if you question any of it, they will try to take you down like Joe Rogan, John Stewart, maybe next. It only stops when we stand up to it. It really stops when we stop playing this gender game, stop playing this game with the masks. Hopefully it stops soon. But as you mentioned, Paul, the federal government is now looking to, I mean, the DHS has a lot of authorities. It does. And what's interesting about these words that mean the opposite that you talked about, it's almost like it almost hypnotizes people, right? It's like if when you said the Department of Peace or when you talk about mini packs. Yeah, it's all it makes them think they're believing something that is good and righteous when in reality, Black Lives Matter. Yep, Black Lives Matter. It's just the opposite. It's brainwashing in a way. It is. I mean, Black Lives Matter has, in their ignoring the slaughter that's taking place in American cities and taking away the power of the police, they are putting more Black Americans at risk every day. It is completely opposite. And Americans need to recondition their brains and stop buying into this stuff. Completely. If, if we don't do it, there's just going to be more and more words. The language is going to get even more jumbled. And no one is going to be able to tell right from wrong anymore. Well, don't kowtow to your government. Don't be worried about being called a misinformationist. And uh, stand up to your government, even though they, they have guns. They also have guns that they can use if you refuse to pay your taxes. And when we come back, a story that you might be interested in, particularly if you have not filed your 2021 tax return, I know you're going to want to hear that, so stay tuned for our third segment on the Midnight Ride Podcast. Welcome back to the Midnight Ride and our third and final segment, of course, last and not least, as Connor mentioned at the end of the previous segment, the government is not only trying to silence your speech, but potential government incompetence is creating a uh, complete chaos when it comes to filing your taxes. A recent report by the Washington Post, which is definitely not the uh, national paper of record for Connor and I, is reporting for anyone. Nearly 24 million, yeah, for anyone, is showing 24 million tax returns have still not been processed by the IRS uh, in the 2022 tax filing season. That is could be as much as 15 to 20% of all tax returns received by the IRS. 
They're blaming worker shortages and COVID-19. Hold on a second. Yeah. 24 million. Which year are we talking about here? Which year are they saying? 2021 returns or 2020 returns? We are looking at 2020 returns because 2021 is still not, that's being filed now. Have you filed? I haven't filed yet. I'm in a different bracket. I'm not filing the, you know, 1040 EZ, but it's close. But 2020, there's 24 million outstanding returns from the last year. How is that even possible? Yeah, 20, it's craziness. So apparently, so there's 24 million returns. And what's happened is, number one, refunds have not gotten processed. So you've got millions, tens of millions American of Americans waiting for refunds. Number two, you've got the IRS sending out, according to this report, they're sending out notes to people in the mail saying, we haven't received your returns. You owe us money. We're going to put liens against your house and all of your property for not filing on time. And yet they have filed and their returns are just sitting on some bureaucrat's desk right now collecting dust. Can you believe this? And that's like the collection agency from hell. So- Full disclosure, and don't judge me, but I, I go to H&R Block. <laughs> okay. Hey, we're not endorsing H&R Block here. We're, they're not a sponsor. They're not a sponsor. If they want to be a sponsor, call us. They do a good job for me, but I've never had a problem getting an added return from them. But I, I just don't understand how somebody files on April 15th or before, and here we are 10 months later, and the IRS is saying they haven't even seen it. That's a huge problem. Exactly. My guess here, I know there's a lot of the returns that get filed electronically probably have gotten taken care of because I think some of these, a person doesn't even really look at it. It's like you file your return and then the refund gets processed. I know there are, according to this, there's 9.7 million paper returns awaiting processing, 4.1 million that were suspended because of errors with stimulus payments, relief or other issues, 4.1 million amended returns, 5.8 million pieces of correspondence awaiting action between the agency and taxpayers to resolve issues before returns are completed. Essentially, taxpayers have sent correspondence to the IRS that's just fallen into a, a black hole. And the IRS here is blaming worker shortages that they just don't have enough people and they've been asking for more money. And I don't necessarily think that giving more money is the answer to make this agency work. Well, remember the Biden administration back in, right after they were elected, they proposed doubling the size of the Internal Revenue Service, hiring nearly 87,000 new workers over the next decade, which would increase their funding by $80 billion. Now that would have been phased in about 10 or 15% growth per year. But the current presidential, which clearly believes in big government, they proposed expanding the size and budget and workforce of the IRS. And they claimed that it would bring in a trillion dollars in tax revenue each year. I don't know if that's true. It probably is not. But it certainly would have increased the size of government and probably their control over us. This whole thing brings up a ton of questions around this, and it's not just people. The first thing is antiquated software. I mean, they're using like ancient computer systems, completely inefficient, so that's a problem. But it also brings up other things. Why do Americans' tax returns have to be so darn complicated? Why is our tax code 
so complicated. It seems to me like if you had like a flat tax or you had, or you could file your taxes out on a postcard, I know Trump's tax bill did simplify things somewhat, tried to make it even more simple, but came against a, a lot of opposition there. It eliminated some of the deductions for state and local taxes, which simplified things a little bit, but it made a lot of Americans unhappy in places like New York, New Jersey, and California. It did. That was one piece of it. And then furthermore, we've got this whole situation, we talked about it last week, in government where you can't fire bad employees. And I looked up, there was there have been several studies done. I looked at a piece by Joe Swardzewski. He's a a uh, consultant, and he gets hired by agencies to look a lot at uh, how they hire and fire people. He represented one agency, which had 6,000 employees, and he counted that in any given year, less than one handful, so that's less than five people, were let go for, for cause, you know, were fired from the agency. So we don't even know how many employees at the IRS are just sitting around doing nothing and their supervisors don't want to deal with all the union paperwork to get them taken out. This is a very complicated issue that here at the IRS that extends to all of government. And the solution is not just throwing more and more money at the problem. We need a government that's efficient and works for us. Well, I mean, that's almost laughable, but we have seen cases. If you get a job in federal government today, civil service, it's almost impossible to get fired. And you talked about, Paul, you mentioned a couple episodes ago about the power of these public sector unions. And this probably applies to state governments as well. But there have been cases, well-documented cases, of employees watching porn for several hours a day. And they could not fire these people. I mean, they had it on the hard drives. Oh, yeah. That was hilarious. I think it was at the EPA. That's right. The Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah, they found some guy with 7,000 pornographic files on his computer, and they caught him watching porn. And five years later, he's still on the payroll. So he was collecting checks for five years, ostensibly just flipping his middle finger at his supervisor and just watching porn for five years extra, getting paid, getting a cushy health care benefit pro package, all sorts of things. And oftentimes, when they finally do get rid of people, and this would apply to other public sector employees like teachers. They get a package. They get a golden parachute out the door. So this is widespread, and it, it speaks to a, a greater problem. These tax returns, and clearly we have people who are listening to this right now whose 2020 taxes weren't done. I was not even aware of this until you mentioned it, Paul. But this is not just the IRS. It's throughout government. And this is what happens when you have a massive bureaucracy. It is completely inefficient and innovation goes out the door. You mentioned software. They don't have the same tools to use that the uh, private sector does. You could eliminate former Texas Governor Perry famously could not name the three departments that he could eliminate. But I think you could eliminate the IRS, privatize this with some basically people using accountants or just having a flat tax. You could eliminate the IRS. I think we would probably, as a country, have more revenue because we would eliminate that overhead and probably raise just as much, if not more, in terms of revenue. I fully agree. I don't even see why you can't get rid of, and you should be, for the IRS specifically, you could get rid of all these agents, have it be under a number of federal contracts with contractors doing the work, and then have certain goals for the number of returns that need to get processed 
under the contract in a certain amount of time. And if people don't do that, they can get fired because they work for a contractor. I think that's a good idea. The IRS is dealing with collecting money, money in, money out, just like a business does. And I think if it were to act a little bit more like a business with at-will employment and everything else, you could use the federal, you could use contractors to effectively take the place of the government employees, and then you don't have to worry about this. And right now, you can send a letter to the IRS, the bureaucrat could respond to you, they could throw it in the garbage, they could do whatever they want, and they're not going to lose their job. And the only person left holding the bag is the taxpayer who's been waiting a year or more for his or her refund. And the government is, meanwhile, just holding on to their money, collecting interest on it. And Joe, the truck driver, is could be out significant sums of money here. It's been a tough couple years for Joe, the truck driver, being forced to inject him or herself with a foreign substance or else potentially losing their livelihood. And when they do get work, the government using their money while they're sitting there waiting for their return and some person's playing video games in the office and and can't get fired. One other problem with bureaucrats and the tax system is the fact that you have this potentially tyrannical government drunk on power. They can use the IRS as a weapon. And I seem to remember, was it Lois Lerner? Was that her name? I mean, the IRS began auditing certain 501Cs or certain groups that had the words Tea Party in their name or things like that. Because, you know, audits are supposed to be random. They can't audit all 330 million Americans or however many families they are. They have to kind of cast the nets out to a certain percentage. It's supposed to be done at random. But when you have that wants to punish political opponents, they can use the IRS as a weapon and go after and audit people whom they don't agree with. They can. And I think the only solution to this is, as you said, is to do some level of privatization with the IRS, where companies take over the processing of the returns and their financial incentives and disincentives to do this right. And because otherwise, there's literally no accountability at all. And it's the income tax was added later in the Constitution. It's my opinion that taxes are too high. In fact, the government is too big. All you're going to do by adding more and more agents is taking people that don't do their job. They get put to the side. New people come in. The agency just continues to grow exponentially until it collapses in on itself. And that's a direction nobody wants to go in. I support the IRS. The government needs to, to bring in tax dollars to fund itself. But the way that it's being done is a disservice to everybody involved and is hurting our country at the end of the day. So quick question, what happens to these people who get these letters saying, hey, you're not going to get your 21 returns. We don't have your 20 returns. We're going to put a lien on your house. What recourse do they have for our listeners who might be curious? The answer is absolutely zero because what happens is they get those liens and then they write back to the IRS saying that they did file a return And then they don't get a response back because, you know, if they have this huge backlog of returns, just imagine the correspondence. That's also sitting on somebody's desk. So they don't get any help at all. There is no recourse at all. And the left hand doesn't talk to the right. So it's likely that the IRS could put a lien on somebody's bank account, even though they've already filed a return. And in some cases may have even sent in a check that has just been in an envelope that hasn't even gotten cashed. Yeah, that definitely has happened. Well, I'll tell you what recourse you have, and that is 
continuing to listen to the misinformation coming from the midnight ride, supporting people like the Freedom Convoy and supporting political candidates who are against big government and are really want to lower your taxes and let you keep more of your money. If you're speaking of the midnight ride, Paul, we have seen in the last few weeks, and I think there's this movement nationally against tyranny. We've seen our listenership spiking a little bit and growing. It grows by the day. If you're listening to us, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to The Midnight Ride and tell a friend. We really enjoy hearing from you in the DMs. Follow us on Twitter at The Midnight Ride Pod. And uh, it's been a crazy week. Everything from the Durham revelations that dropped on Friday, the Canadian government towing trucks off that bridge and, and the the truckers saying they will not quit. We are at a tipping point here. So please keep up, all of you patriots out there, keep calling your congressman, keep listening. Paul, any final thoughts for the week? I think you had a a pretty good wrap up there, but we're going to stay on this wall. We're going to hold government accountable. We're going to keep looking out for you, the American citizen, and make sure that you are not abused. So tune in next week for another great episode. And in the meantime, enjoy the week with your family and your friends and don't be afraid to speak your mind. All right. Well, for Paul, I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the Midnight Ride Podcast.